0: My father and mother and boys are out at a family reunion in Missouri, and when Dad asked me to cover for him for this sermon this morning, originally I was going to do the Psalms study that we had begun and we were planning on kicking off. However, on Wednesday of this week, my father pulled me aside and goes, actually, I've thought about it. And you're going to do some, something weird to start off this series. You're going to go in places I wasn't expecting. You're going to take us in directions that I wasn't ready for. So, you know what, forget it. Just preach on whatever you want this week. We'll start the psalm series when I can uh, give a guiding hand next time. I think that's a fair, uh, fair assessment. But this morning, I'm going to kind of just tell you a story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. And one that a couple of weeks ago during my time of meditation really stuck out to me. And as I prayed about it and as I studied, I found myself being profoundly challenged. So I'd like to share with you my meditation thought I had that day. And what it led me to. Now, I hope this is as meaningful to you as it was to me. But I make no promises. What I do promise is this. If you'll ride with me for the next 20 or 30 minutes... At the end of this, you will be challenged in one specific way. To ask yourself one specific question. Do I know God? Better question. Do I really want to? This question is a simple one, right? I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning, on, right before the week of the 4th of July. You could be literally anywhere else, right? Of course you really want to know God. Let's revisit that question at the conclusion of our sermon this morning. Do I really want to know God? Do I really? Today our story is going to start in Exodus chapter 20. Moses has led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt through the mighty acts of God in the plagues. He has crossed the Red Sea with the Pharaoh's army chasing after him. They have been led by fire, And by cloud. They have been given bread from heaven and seen water come from rocks. And yet the people were still scared. Admittedly, we give the Israelites a hard rap sometimes, but if we stop and think about it, they've literally only known one identity their entire life slaves. Now they're free. They only knew one place, Egypt, but now they had the desert. They only knew one life. But now they didn't even have that. They were completely lost, confused, and scared. And God identified their weakness. And so he decided that he was going to come down. And he was going to be with his people. So upon the Mount of Sinai, God decided to make his stand. And coming down like a volcano from heaven, he sits on top of the mountain. And he begins to wrap around him clouds of utter darkness. You know, it sounds like a good idea. But I think the Israelites didn't think it was as cool as God did. They became terrified. They looked up and saw this massive event occurring, and they all became scared. They didn't want to go anywhere near the mountain. In fact, Moses kept saying, let's get closer to hear the word of the Lord. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And the Israelites just kept stepping back like, "Ah, I don't know if you saw the volcano from heaven, but uh, I think I'm good down here. Finally, God got sick of the the complaining and the fear. So he looked at Moses and Moses alone. And he said, Moses, come up the mountain. I wish to talk to you. So there Moses stood, looking up a very steep mountain face, a giant cloud of darkness that he knew on the other side of this thick, utter blackness was the radiant glory of God and the volcano from heaven. I give Moses a hard time, but in this moment, I'm very impressed. Without hesitation, without looking back, Moses leapt off his feet, walked up the mountain, and directly through the cloud of utter darkness into the presence of God. Okay, that's the story. That's it. That's all we have. But on the surface, I found the story very confusing and perplexing for a variety of reasons we'll get into. But most surface level is that God himself in this moment looks like darkness. He looks like he's wrapped in darkness. I teach my kids in my teen class that God is three things. And we use the statements of John. God is light, God is love, and God is life. Very simple, very profound. But here, that the very first one is under attack. God is light. Except for Moses, he looked like utter darkness. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, John the Apostle writes, Now this is the gospel message that we have heard from him and shall announce to you, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Not only is God light, but the gospel message, the one by which we are saved, is predicated on the reality that God is light. And yet in this story, Moses sees him as dark. The brother of Jesus later would say that he is the father of heavenly lights with whom there is no change or shifting shadow. God is radiant light, beautiful and stunning, except to Moses where he looked like a black cloud of darkness. Why is that? Why was it that when Moses looked upon God, he only saw the darkness? But when John looked upon God, he saw the light. Or when James looked upon God, he saw the light. You know, this actually is something that happens pretty consistently, so much so that John in his gospel says, there we go, no one has ever seen the Father, because he's shrouded in that darkness. David, the man after God's own heart, writing a beautiful song of praise, says this. He has made darkness his hiding place. Dark storm clouds his canopy around him. David, too, saw God in darkness. Not like the light that John did. Likewise, his son Solomon, the wisest king that ever was, at least self-proclaimed, says this the lord has said that he lives in thick darkness what was it that made god appear dark to david to solomon and to moses and yet to jesus or excuse me to john and to james look like a radiant light why was it that when all of these old testament figures and heroes wanted to look upon the radiance of god's beauty all they could see staring back at them was black and yet even the worst of sinners in the new testament when they look upon god find beauty The answer lies in perspective, ours and theirs. In Deuteronomy chapter four, verse eleven. In just a second, we're going to slow down with the scriptures. Just got to set some things up. It says this: as Moses approached the mountain, that there was a blaze in the sky, and yet dark with a thick cloud. I want you to have a mental image with me, if you will. Picture a mountain. And I'm not talking like a pretty mountain. Like, imagine I have a dry erase board up here and I just draw like a big triangle. You with me? Artistic skills. And then I draw a line directly through the middle of the mountain. This way. Like a horizon. On this side of the line up from the mountain was radiant light. As Deuteronomy says, a blaze in the sky. But this side under that line was nothing but thick darkness. Why is that? What is up with the darkness of the Old Testament and what people see? It was at this point in my study that I found myself asking, why is it that even these great men of faith didn't see what God wanted them to see? Why was it that when God said, come be in my presence, all Moses could find himself to do is look into the darkness and experience the blackness? I think the answer lies in the fact that his heart wasn't ready. As we'll see throughout this morning's lesson, Moses had a tendency to fall in on himself. He was proud, he was arrogant, and often, specifically, violent. He found himself constantly in his own head and in his own life. And as he was preparing to see God, the only thing he had ever known was darkness. He had lived in a world of darkness. He had committed acts of darkness. Darkness was intertwined in the very nature of Moses. And so is it any surprise that when he prepared to go see God, the only thing that lied before him was darkness? That little line that I drew through the mountain, the Bible actually gives a name. Different translations will render it different ways. Some of your translations will say firmament. Some of your translations will say vault. Some of your translation will say borderline. There's one translation that calls it an invisible barrier. But all of your translations have it. That dividing line that splits Sinai into the darkness and into the radiant light is called the vault. It's found there in the beginning of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, as God makes heavens and earth. He says that he puts the heavens in the sky, then he puts earth below, and then there's this line that he puts in between. The vault. The barrier between God and man, the physical and the heavenly. Throughout the Bible, we get glimpses of this vault. For instance, in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel looks up overhead, and what does he see? This thin barrier. As he's ascending into the heavens, he's riding on a chariot of fire, and he's looking around all of Israel and all of the, uh, the nations around, and he looks up, trying to go higher, but he can't. There's like a ceiling there a crystalline mirror reflecting. And he tries to get as close as he can. Ezekiel's desperate. He wants to get to the other side because he knows on the other side of this vault is God. But the closer he gets, the more he realizes he can't pass through. It's spread out above him. What's interesting is John, in his revelation, actually gets to the other side, sitting in the place of heaven, And he's looking down this time at the vault, that sea of crystal by which he can't pass through. This vault, this line between heaven and between earth. From our vantage point, we look up and it reflects back upon us. From heaven, you look down and it reflects up to heaven. It's just a giant mirror that divides heaven and earth. One that runs directly through the the pages of scripture, but one that specifically runs through the mountain of Sinai. Reflecting up and reflecting down, depending on your vantage point. This is the part where I began to think about something pretty profound. The first thing I'd like you to consider this morning. This vault, this barrier between God and man, is nothing more than a reflection. A reflection of the one looking upon it. From God's vantage point, looking down on the mountain of Sinai, what was reflected back up? Radiant light, beauty, fire, glory. But from the desert of sin where the Israelites were, as they looked up, what did they see reflected back at them? The thick darkness. The blackness. What did David see when he reflected and looked upon God? He saw the vault, that barrier between him and God. Reflecting back upon him all of his sins and his weaknesses. Saying that God is wrapped in darkness. What did Solomon see when he looked upon the glory of God? He saw reflecting back upon him his own wickedness and his own imperfection. To the people under the vault, God always looks like a reflection of themselves. It's true of the Israelites, it's true of David, it's true of Solomon, it's true of the Pharisees, and it's true of us. There's an old proverb, not in the Bible, but one in the early church, that God made man in his image, and man, ever the gentleman, returned the favor. And I think that's so true. As the Israelites were in the desert, they saw their fear, their doubt, their sin. They saw their disbelief. They saw their own actions. And as they looked upon the vault of heaven, the only thing they could see looking back upon them is darkness. Because that's what was in their heart. They were veiled. They were covered. But Moses wanted something more. When God invited him through the darkness, he said, come and actually know me. Moses was thrilled. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, he actually begs God to show him his full glory, having literally just said moments before that it would probably kill him. Moses just wanted to see God. Even if that meant the loss of his life, he just wanted to see God. Even if it challenged everything, he just wanted to see God. Whenever we look upon God whenever we look upon that barrier of heaven, what we'll see reflected back down if we're not careful is just ourselves. It's for this reason that David writes, to the faithful you show yourself faithful, to the blameless you show yourself blameless, to the pure you show yourself pure, but to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. What we look to see, we will find in God. And what the Israelites wanted more than anything was a God of their own darkness. A God of their own thick cloud. A God that didn't judge them for their sin or challenge them to be different. They wanted a God that reflected their legalism, their traditionalism, their anger. They wanted a God who reflected their violence, their exclusivity, and their desire to be righteous. They wanted a God who would constantly conform to them, tell them how good they were, and that they were doing it all right. They were terrified of the blinding light. They were terrified of the glory of God. Because in the glory of God, they didn't have control. In the presence of God's radiating beauty, they didn't have a say. So they were comfortable with the cloud. Day in and day day out, sitting, staring at their own reflection and calling it God. There are three elements of the story. The fear of Moses and his people. The finding of God in his actual divine light and the future that existed for Israel. I want us to consider at this point something before we jump into the rest of this. I want you to revisit that question that I asked at the beginning of the sermon. Do you really want to know God? Do you really want to know God? Or are you finding yourself like the Israelites where you're comfortable with the God that you have? The God that you think you know? Are you comfortable looking into the black cloud and having the God reflect back that says, just do these things and you'll be all right. Come to church, it'll be fine. Make sure you get baptized and take the Lord's Supper. That's really it. Are you comfortable with a God that looks nationalistic or violent? With a God that looks legalistic or traditional? Or are you comfortable being like Moses and pushing through the clouds and beholding who God actually is and what he calls us to be? Here's the kicker, folks. Standing at the bottom of Mount Sinai is super easy. Passing through it, that's the Christian call. And it's not an easy one. Let's follow Moses in this journey. It starts in fear, as most things do. The Israelites sitting at the bottom of this mountain terrified. The God of darkness descending upon them. But see, Moses realized something that we would be good to remember. He thought that God could be different than what he anticipated. He thought God could maybe, just maybe, not be the God of darkness, but in fact, be a God of light. This motivation, this drive led him up the mountain, but I want us to be very clear on the things that he knew he could be leaving behind. And as we pursue this journey, it's the same things we could be leaving behind. First, his comfort. 100% his comfort. Once Moses walked into that darkness and walked through that barrier, he was going to behold the face of God for the first time, and he was going to fully understand the expectations and the nature of the God that he served. He understood that once he walked through that cloud that nothing ever again would be the same. And yet he plunged through. He knew that he would be leaving behind his life. Before this moment he was nothing more than a glorified governor. A general, maybe. Maybe? Really, Joshua handled most of that. But once he walked through the mountain, he knew he was going to be a servant of God in a way he had never been before. Because he was going to see and behold the message of God, fully and completely. Coming back down the mountain, he was going to be different. His life was going to be different. And third, his faith was going to be different. There's no way that you behold the face of God and walk out unchanged. And everything that Moses valued and cared for was going to be turned on its head as soon as he walked through that barrier and saw God. There is fear in this, this fear of change, this fear of worry. What is my life going to be? And it led most people, including even righteous people like Aaron or Joshua, to not want to go through the veil. In fact, they walked with Moses up to a certain point and then basically were like, go get him, champ. We'll be right here waiting when you come down. Why? Because they were comfortable too with the God of darkness. In this, we find a very important biblical truth. Fear may introduce us to God, but fear will not take us to him. Fear is all of the things that hold us back. Fear is true. They looked at God, and as Solomon says, fear is the beginning of wisdom. That's true. And as the lightning cloud descended from heaven, and the voice boomed from the sky, and the thick darkness appeared about Mount Sinai, guess what, everybody? They were terrified, as you would be too. That was the beginning of their journey with God. But then they allowed their fear to take over. And they never moved past it. Sure, they were afraid of God, but they were also afraid of change. They were also afraid of faith. They were also afraid of tradition. They were also afraid of all these other things being altered. So they just camped out in their fear at the bottom of Mount Sinai, looking at the cloud. Ironically, it is true that fear is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not its completion. The journey of wisdom takes us past fear and takes us into the presence of God, as Paul writes in Ephesians 3. Because there is no fear in love. But wisdom is fulfilled by love. And love in turn releases fear. Moses, was he scared? Yes. Was he terrified of the God of darkness? Yes. Was he terrified of the God of light? Yes. Was he scared of all the things that he could find if he walked through the darkness? Yes. Was he terrified that his life would never be the same? Yes. But did he do it anyway? Yes. Why? Because he loved God. And that's what love demands of us. One of the things that really uh, hits me is how often I'm comfortable sitting in fear. How often I'm fine sitting at the bottom of Mount Sinai. There are so many times that I look at God and I see the beauty radiating off of the cross. I see the beauty of Jesus Christ and I feel something inside of me being pulled like, Bishop, you've got to do better you've got to be more loving, you've got to be more compassionate, you've got to be more generous, you've got... And then I find myself going, yeah, that's too much. That's too bright. Walking back down off the mountain and sitting in the utter darkness. Why? Because it's comfortable there. Every time I find my faith being challenged and pulled by a God that says it's no longer about checking boxes and making sure you're doing the right things, it's now about living like me. I find myself terrified and retreating back down, creating my checklists and my boxes that I can hit to make sure I'm a good Christian that day. I find myself in the same situation as the Israelites. Sitting in my fear and never letting my love of God move me past it. Let me ask you, do you sit in that fear too? Is there moments when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you read things like, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, give without expectation of return, that you feel yourself getting uncomfortable by what God's asking? And instead of walking closer to the radiating light emerging from the pages, you instead close the Bible, convince yourself that, ah, really, it's not like that. It's not really that. Surely God doesn't actually mean walking back down Mount Sinai until you find yourself looking at the God of darkness? Do you find passages like Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, you've been saved by grace, not by you. Not by your merit. You have to trust in him. And you find yourself going, yeah, 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 but I live a really good life, God. I'm super moral. I follow all the rules. That's where my security lies. Walking back down off Mount Sinai. Back into the cloud of darkness. I say this because this is where I'm at most of my time in faith. I find myself kind of, and maybe you can agree with me, maybe you don't, and maybe this sermon is just for Bishop and not for you, at which case I'm so sorry that you have to listen to 25 minutes of self-revelation. But the reality is, I find like this barrier between the light and the darkness, I spend most of my Christian faith just walking back and forth on. Wanting the courage to be like Moses and plunge myself into the nature of Christ, but then being terrified of what Christ is calling me to do and running back into my comfort zone. Back and forth, I find myself struggling with my own problems. I'm afraid of giving it up. I'm afraid of giving up my tradition, my rules, my laws. I'm afraid of giving up my comfort level, my my life. I'm afraid of what following God actually may legitimately call me to. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of his light and I'm more comfortable in the darkness. I find myself so frequently there. Do you? At this point, I want to remind us of the question of the morning. Do you really want to know God? Truly? Are you willing to plunge through the darkness and never look back? Embrace the radiating light of God wherever that calls you, and wherever it takes you. Once Moses did pass through, he passed through his fear into the second part, the finding, where he discovered God. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. The revelation of God's light was brighter than Moses ever could have anticipated. It was more beautiful than he could have ever conceived. If you think about it, let's put ourselves in his shoes for just a second. He came out of Egypt, right? And in Egypt, they had a bunch of gods in a pantheon he was taught about, of which most of them were violent, capricious, random, or evil. Not only that, but even the Hebrews' view of God became very Egyptian in their time in exile. I mean, you don't live in a place for 400 years without it wearing off on you. So all of a sudden, God started looking a lot like, well, Ra or Baal or Molech. God was violent. God was all of these things that Moses learned he's actually not. He was angry, vindictive, quick to anger, didn't have any loyalty, and wasn't faithful to his promises. And then Moses discovers all of those things were turned on his head. This is a moment, by the way, that I really wish I could live out. And maybe you do too. I really wish I could pass through the darkness and I could see all of the areas where my my blinders are up. All the things I think God is, but I learn he's actually not. Moses had that moment very clearly in front of him. And in one moment he realized God is more beautiful than anything I could have imagined, anything I thought was possible, and even the idea of God changed for him forever forever. Not only spiritually, mind you, but literally, physically, the brightness of God wore off on him, so much so that his face started shining. The radiating beauty of God's love as he passed through that mirror, the love radiating from that mirror literally covered him in light. Imagine for just a moment, you're an Israelite, right? You're sitting on the bottom of Mount Sinai. You're already freaked out because... Everything that's happened, you're comfortable with a God that's being changed. And as Moses descends, you see this light splitting through this utter darkness. A face radiating through it, separating the dark clouds. And descending from the top of Mount Sinai, you see Moses changed, light reflecting. Moses would come down and he would read the law. He would talk about all the things he learned about God. You can even hear in his voice the excitement. Guys, guys, I know you think God's this. God's not. I know you think God's vindictive. He's not. I know you think God is exclusive, but he actually desires that all people find him. I know you think that he's all of, all of the, the judgmental, the legalist, the traditional, all of those things. He's not. He wants you to be free. And all the Israelites could see was the light. And all they wanted was the darkness. And so they looked at Moses and said, Moses, we hear you. But cover it up. Put the veil back on. I'm ready for the darkness again. Aaron even tells him, go back up off the mountain. Don't you have more you need to hear? Get on back up there. We don't want you here. Why? Because even just the reflection of God's beauty was scary. Not even its fullness, just a part of it. There was a, a guy I went to college with. He was super cool. All the Bible majors really liked him. Because he, like, broke all the rules. We all thought that was really cool. I guess that never changes. Like, that, that's kind of true forever. But I remember one chapel talk. He walks up <clears throat> to speak you know the whole assembly of Freed sitting there he walks up in cargo shorts and flip flops you can hear him clickety clacking all the way down He walks up to the podium pulls out a bible out of his back pocket and slams it on the table opens it up and he just says one very simple thing why are you all so scared why are you all so scared is it because you don't trust God or you don't trust you? Click, 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 click. Utter silence. Utter silence. Why are you so scared? Is it because you don't trust God or you don't trust you? In that moment, when Moses came off the mountain, the first thing he said is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, he says in his radiant face. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Obey the commands of the Lord. And in that moment, Israel doubted so much. But if we believe this God, there's no way I can follow him. This God that's radiating love and light, it's too much for me. There's no hope. I'm not good enough. And there were some in the audience who immediately started thinking, mm, "Moses, is he really that good? Did God really mean that? Did he really say that? Is that really who he is?" Are you afraid? Are you afraid of you not being enough or him not being enough? This idea is very important for us as Christians because we live so much time in that zone. Even when we have glimpses of God or see it radiating off of people, we find ourselves afraid, not trusting God or our ability to follow him. Fear never really goes away, does it? Because even when you pass through Sinai, you still start doubting yourself or God. There was a line that a kid A student of mine here, actually, in class one day said, he said, do you really think that we teach the good news? I was like, yeah, of course. The gospel, right? Like, this is like Christianity 101. And then he kind of says, yeah, but doesn't it kind of seem like mediocre news at best? That was the moment I realized that he had never really fully seen the beauty of God and then it made me realize that maybe it's because I've never taught it right. Maybe all he saw when he looked at God is what the Israelites saw, a God of laws and rules that they have to get right, perfectly adhering to, otherwise they get sent to hell, reprimanded and punished. It's not good news at all. You know what it is? A God of radiating light, so beautiful that it will reflect off us and in every part of our life. A God of stunning beauty, and we can't help but think through. Moses had the fear. But he passed through the darkness anyway. And what he found on the other side was a radiant light. A beauty that's terrifying to behold. Because of where it called him to go. And as he came back down off the mountain, the Israelites not only rejected the light of God, but rejected the light of Moses. Just a reflection of the light of God because they were comfortable where they were. They were scared. Scared that they weren't going to be good enough and scared that God couldn't possibly be this beautiful. And that kind of defined the future of Israel, didn't it? That was kind of their shtick from then on. Augustine, I'm going to skip ahead a lot of slides here. Augustine was preaching a sermon one time in the 5th century and he said this line, The truth is that the Old Testament of Mount Sinai produced children of slavery. It's a quote from Paul. And now serves only one purpose, to bear witness of how we have arrived at the new covenant. He's right. In that moment on Mount Sinai, the only thing that was revealed was the people's inability to accept the beauty of God. Only glimpses, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3, ever actually made it off the mountain. Because they were so scared to behold God that they never fully saw him. And so we have prophets like Nahum. By the way, I know this is a weird book to reference, considering probably none of us have read Nahum in the last five years. But in Nahum, chapter 1, you see this disjointed prophet trying to figure it all out. Right In one verse he says, God is overwhelmingly angry like a torrent of wrath hitherto unknown. In the next verse it's, but the Lord is peaceful a refuge in time of distress. But with a torrent of wrath, he will destroy Nineveh in order to save all those that he loves. And you're like, dude, who is this God that you're trying to see? And you can see Nahum like all the prophets, like all the people in the Old Testament, trying to look through the dark cloud at Sinai and see a glimpse of the light behind it. But they never were able to. In that same 2 Corinthians passage, Paul actually gives us the reason why. Because it wasn't until Jesus Christ came that the darkness was expelled. And once and for all, we all behold the beauty of God square on. Until now, as Paul writes, there is no excuse. There is no darkness for us to hide behind. Mount Sinai's cloud is gone. Completely eradicated in the cross of Calvary. Because of that... We are left with a terrifying decision, but a beautiful one. Do we believe that God is as beautiful as he says he is? That God is as gracious as he says he is? That God is as kind as he says he is? Do we believe that God actually looks like Jesus? Jesus, the one who was willing to die rather than to kill. Jesus, who was willing to offer himself on the cross instead of holding us to that standard. Jesus, who, mind you, was willing to save you at the expense of himself. Jesus, who loved the children and cared for the prostitutes, surrounded himself with tax collectors and sinners and didn't care for his own reputation at all, who often flouted the rules of society and of the church, challenging them and forcing people to question, what's really important here? Every time that he walked into a room and he saw the shadow of Sinai still there, he lit a torch and he wiped it away, forcing every single person he ever came in contact with to look on the radiating face of Moses and the reflection of God's beauty. There were a lot of people who saw Christ. There were a few who followed him. But large was the crowd who was said to crucify him. Why? Why? Because, as John said, the darkness couldn't handle the light. It's never been able to. It always wants the darkness. Whether it's Moses coming down off Mount Sinai, or whether it's Jesus on trial, we've always rejected the light for the darkness, the comfort level that comes from it. This story is a challenging one. Moses ascending the mountain, Going through the dark cloud. Thank you, Noah. This is important because it's a metaphor for our journey with God. This morning, we find ourselves there, sitting on the Mount of Sinai, looking up at a reflection of a God that we often make in our own image a God that we view as scary, vindictive, wrathful, judgmental, legalistic, or ready to punish. And God's inviting us like he invited Moses. Take a few more steps. Walk through the cloud. And let me show you who I am. But we shouldn't do that lightly. Because when we walk through that cloud, we're going to find a God who radiates love and grace. Who's going to challenge everything we thought we believed, challenge every view we ever thought we had of God. And we're going to walk off the mountain changed and scared of the life that we're called to live. But you know what? there will never be anything more beautiful than you look at when you see Jesus square on. A God of grace and love. A God who looks at you and says, you're not going to get it all right, that's why I'm here. Who says, of course you have sin, but I have bore it. Who sits on the other side of the dark cloud with open arms, begging you just to walk through it and to be with him. So church, I promised you I'll end with this. Let me ask you a question. Do you really want to know God? The beautiful God. The God who changes everything. Or are we going to be comfortable sitting, looking at the God of our reflection? The God wrapped in darkness? I hope that was a God of light. This morning, you have an opportunity. We do every week. And not just every week. We do every day, every minute of every day, to cross through that darkness to God. But often what holds us back is that first step or the next step. This morning is a great time as any to take that next step, to push through the darkness and find the God of light and love. We're here to help you with that step, whether it's baptism Whether it's just talking about God, whether it's a prayer to overcome a temptation or a sin, or whether it's just because you need some help, we'd like to help you. Because at the end of the day, we're all Israelites just trying to get up Mount Sinai to lay eyes on the beautiful God whom we all desperately want to serve correctly. He loves you. He's calling for you. Walk through the darkness today. We'll be in the back if you need anything. Otherwise, let's stand and let's sing.